Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I am Henry Ettinger, and making his return to the podcast <laughs> is Jordan Climax. Jordan, it's been a couple weeks. I, I jumped on just for a solo pod with Hauschew to keep things going for the listeners. It was kind of Julio Jones was traded in the meantime. You had Wi-Fi issues, plumbing issues. Tell the listeners what you've been up to the last <laughs> couple weeks, man. Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, I'm back. <laughs> I just I had, to, I had to get that in there. But, yeah, no, man, uh, so we just got in the, you know, the move went down. I'm in a house now, so, you know, it took a couple, about a week or so to actually get settled in on everything. And uh, now that we're here, I'm ready to go, man. I know, that, I know that the people were in the comments and everything, like, where's Jordan? Where's Jordan? <laughs> no, I don't think anyone actually actually thought that. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm back and uh, ready to talk some brands, man. We're getting, you know, I've been saying this whole offseason, it's kind of like a milestone, right? So, like, first off, we spent so much time talking about the draft. I mean, get to the draft and then it's okay. The schedule release, got through the schedule release. Then it's OTAs, you got through OTAs. Now we're at mini camp. Just one more milestone to get to, that's training camp. And then the season is here, Henry. So we're inching closer and closer. But yeah, I mean, my life's been crazy, but you know, we're here to talk Browns. That's all that matters in the, in the long run. Hey, hey, I, I look. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners missed you. I missed you. So that that part matters to me. And like, no, let's stay on this for a second. Where, where do you right, go? Right. East side, west side? Like, what, what West side, west here? side, best side. Come on, man. Uh, it's funny. I had a lot of people ask me that. Like, did you consider the east side? I was like, hell no, I did not consider the east side. And actually, a good buddy of mine and a teammate, Eddie S. Van Cleveland, Emmett Golden, is getting ready to move to the east side. And he was like, Dude, I went to a Burger King, I went to a McDonald's, a Rallies, and they have the fucking worst service that I've ever had in my entire life. And I was like, you're damn right. That's why I stayed away from the east side. I'm on the west side. A little Fairview Park action for our uh, Cleveland listeners out there. Jordan, you're talking to an east side kid. I grew up in Shaker I know, Heights, I know, huh? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just coming after my people. For a second. <laughs> No, I mean, I've, I've never really bought into the east side, west side thing. I love the west side as well. I love Cleveland. I'm a Cleveland guy. You know, you, you even go. being here in Chicago, I, I rep Cleveland all the time. That's why I love the pod. And so, yeah, I, I don't buy into the whole east, west. Of it. Wait, so are you like, because I'm the same way. It's like I've been west side my whole life. Like I've barely been out to the east side. The only times I go out to the east side is like I've been out to like John Carroll to do some broadcasts, been out there for that. But other than that, I haven't really been out there. I mean. We'll hit up little Italy every once in a while, but I'm not out there often, Henry. Like, do you do you venture over to the West Side? I did go to the West Side a lot growing up for sports, mostly to play hockey. Especially, yeah. there was a lot of ice rinks on the West Side, uh, baseball as well. So that's that's really where I got around uh, as far as the West Side. Now, you know, in terms of going out with like my family and stuff, I would say definitely less so. But but my parents also work downtown. That, you know their entire gotcha. you know uh, their entire career so there there was some trips to the west side uh you know because we were downtown fairly often but no i mean i'm mostly stuck to the east side out of sports but we made it around there are some hockey rivalries with some west side high schools and all that all right all right that's enough that's enough Cleveland talk for now <laughs> we'll 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 jump into the actual browns talk for the listeners there's actually been a fair amount of news in addition to the julio jones trade Jordan, since we last talked, and I think the place to start is the Sheldon Richardson reporting that's come out over the last couple of days and, and subsequent signing as well. So it started, I, I believe, Mary Kate K 
Cabot was the the first one to report this, that, that Sheldon Richardson was not going to return to the Browns after speculation that after he was cut, he could come back to the team and still fill a role. He ultimately chose not to do that. And the reporting indicated the Browns offer might have been even financially better than the one Richardson ultimately received. He ended up going back to Minnesota, a place where he used to play, signing for a one-year $3.6 million deal with some incentives. Gordon, we talked about on the podcast that you know situations where a player gets cut and then returns to the team are very rare. However, the circumstances here made it possible that, that Richardson could have returned. So is this a big loss for the Browns to not get Richardson back on this team? I don't know if it's a big loss, Henry, but it's certainly something that we've been keeping our eye on, right? Because the second, you know, the whole release of Sheldon came down, we, you know, it seems like hours after that report came out, it was like, okay, yeah, but like keep your eye on this because there might be a chance that he, you know, tests the market. It isn't out there. He comes back to the bronze on a lesser deal. And I was kind of, I was holding out hope for that. I, I have to say I was. And and it just goes back to kind of the inexperience, all of the bodies that the Browns have in that defensive tackle room right now. I mean, we don't have a lot of for sure's right outside of an Andrew Billings, outside of a Malik Jackson. You know, there's Tommy Togiai, there's Marvin Wilson, there's these other guys that they've brought in. I think it was Malik McDowell. So, like, knowing all of those names and kind of hearing how unproven that some of these guys are and knowing what Sheldon Richardson was able to do in a Browns uniform as well as what he's able to do previously with Minnesota and Seattle, uh, I just think that, that the provenness of him, uh, like, just the way he's able to prove himself on the field. And, again, I'll always go back to Henry. I think that his biggest loss is not even from an on-field standpoint. It's from an off-the-field standpoint, from an in-the-locker-room in the standpoint. And I think he would be a big guy to have in the locker room right now with, you know, all the young bodies that we have in there. You know, I mentioned that Togia and Marvin Wilson, those guys kind of show them the ropes of how things go. You know, he started said that he would just really started to feel settled in at Cleveland and it came to an end. So I think that he could have helped out with these young guys. And I think that's where the loss comes from, Henry. I'm not as concerned on the field because I think you can probably replace his production with one of these guys that they brought in, particularly a Malik Jackson. So again, a loss, but I'm looking at it from an off the field standpoint rather than on the field standpoint. I am not super concerned about the, the off the field stuff just because I do think that the Browns have a fair number of, of high character guys that they brought in the John Johnson. But, who, but here's the thing though, who, who, like who outside of maybe an Anthony Walker who the Browns brought in, who we know has been, you know, vital with, you know, in the, in the Colts locker room. But like, who, who was that guy, Henry? Like, because last year it was Sheldon Richardson. He was that guy outside of Miles. We know Miles is a soft-spoken guy. He's not necessarily that vocal leader. He's more of a lead-by-example guy. I just think you needed a dog-like personality like Sheldon Richardson in that defense, kind of just to keep these guys grounded. I don't know that there's that guy that we can point to right now and saying that he's going to be that guy. I'm sure someone will, you know, emerge as the season and as the offseason goes on. But, like, is there another guy that you think can slide into that role and all of a sudden become that leader for the defense? Yeah, I, I, I think so. It's John Johnson. I thought – I mean, I, we talked about this when yeah. he signed. The guy was the captain of the Rams. I mean, that's a, that's a Rams defense that was loaded with stars, and he was the captain of that defense there. So, I, I mean, to me, that's the obvious fit, and I think he's a more long-term piece than, than Richardson anyway. I know I agree with that, but here's the thing with that. 
you know, I work with former NFL players every single day, Henry, and, and I've brought this same thing up, but more from an Anthony Walker standpoint of, you know, we, I mean, there were like guys on the Colts, like crying when he, uh, you know, was released or not released, but, you know, not re-signed by the Colts. Uh, one of those guys being Darius Leonard. And so I was like, is it possible that Walker can come in and have this immediate, immediate impact on the young guys in this linebacking room? And the continuous answer that I got was, yeah, he can, but these things, that doesn't happen overnight. When you come to a new, new team, it's, it's a lot about learning the people around you, learning how the personalities around you, how you can get to these guys. Like it takes time. And as the season goes on, I definitely think John Johnson can slide in that role, be that vocal leader. But I think that's going to come more as we're like halfway through the season, as he gets comfortable with the guys around him, as he knows how to push guys' buttons here, or he knows how to be softer with guys here. I just don't think it happens overnight. I get that. Yeah, I, I'm also less concerned with it just because a lot of these young guys, I think, are are either going to not play that much or or not even be on the team as far as the, the defensive yeah. line room. I mean – the, the Browns, and we'll get to the people that are, you know, that were, were starting today, but Jadavion Clowney, Malik Jackson, Tack McKinley, like the, these guys are not rookies. And those are the guys who are going to play the vast, vast majority of the snaps here. So I, I'm not worried about uh, the, the leadership side of things. And I think ultimately, yeah, it falls to, to Miles Garrett anyway. It's time he's got to be that guy if the Browns are going to be successful long term. So I, I I, I actually go the other way where I think the on-field impact is more important. Well, and, here, and here's the other thing, too, with the leadership. I mean, it really is going to come down to Kevin Stefanski, right? And he's the proper leader to have in place, whether it be from an offensive or from a defensive standpoint, to just have him as, like, the head honcho guy there. I think that takes away from it as well. So I get what you're saying. And, and, and to talk about the on-field side of things, Richardson – I thought had re some really solid games last year. I thought if you if you look at across the entire season, you would say, okay, it was solid, not great. You know, six sacks, the PFF numbers are okay, et cetera. But I thought against the Jets, I thought in week 17 against the Steelers, I, he put up some really solid games and the Browns needed him to. And so that – that piece, I think they're going to lose. And I think, you know, you look at the contract, $3.6 million in a vacuum. It's not a lot of money, uh, you know, for, for what I would expect, uh, you know, what you, what you were saying would be proven production at, at the position where right now there's a lot of unproven production. That being said, I don't mind this, even if it is potentially a slight downgrade because I think the Browns have got to give, you know, some room for these young guys to step in. Billings obviously didn't play last year, opted out because of COVID. I think he needs to get in there. I think Malik Jackson's a better option than Sheldon Richardson at this point with what he can provide in the pass rush game. So I, it was – Richardson could have had a role carved out for him, but I don't think it would have been as big as the role he had last season. And I'm okay with them – making some room for not only the starters, but then for a Togi eye or a McDowell, somebody like that to get more playing time, to get an actual roster spot and potentially develop into one of these guys. Cause I think ultimately long-term at this position, they need, you know, some of these rookies to step up because they're going to be spending a lot of money on miles Garrett. They're spending, you know, a, a decent amount of money on Jadavion Clowney. They need to get some production on the cheap at this position. And they took a lot of stabs yeah. 
at, at that this offseason. And so I think you got to see if one of those sticks, you know, for your long term team building. And here's the other thing with Sheldon Richardson, too, Henry. Uh, just played two full seasons in, uh, for the Browns, and he started 31 games. So you talk about, I mean, you go back to the old cliche, right? The best ability is availability. And Sheldon proved to be durable throughout some, I mean, some pretty trying times, especially in that 2019 season. So he's a guy that you could count on week in and week out to be there. You know, whether he was producing every week or not, at least you knew he was going to be there. But Henry, I go back to Malik Jackson real quick. And, you know, a handful of people that I've talked to within the Browns organization are very, very excited about where, where, uh, what they think they can get from Malik Jackson this year, how they think he's going to fit into that defensive line. So I think that the Browns really looked at, I mean, we talked about Sheldon. He was kind of, it almost seemed like he was waiting around for the Browns to swoop in and be like, hey, we'll give you like maybe some more incentives to get your contract up. It didn't end up happening. I don't think, um, you know, Andrew Barry was as focused on Sheldon after he was released as Sheldon thought he was going to be. And I think a lot of that plays into what they expect and what they hope for Malik Jackson heading into this year. And that's a good transition into something I think that that Browns fans were wondering about. And we got potentially a slight glimpse into that today, which is how that that, that defensive line is going to shake out. And Malik Jackson and Billings looked like they were the ones tagged, you know, as the primary guys inside, you know, with Garrett and Clowney just when they lined up. Now, look, it's it's mini camp. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, <laughs> but it did line up with our expectations, I would say. And I think you're right uh, about Malik Jackson. There are some solid numbers about what he can do for you in the pass rush game. He, he was top 20 in pressure rate last year uh, for defensive tackles on the inside. He's always had a knack for getting to the quarterback as well. So I think Jackson can be productive in there. And I think if you pair him with a guy like Billings, let's just, uh, I'll go ahead and say it. Billings looks huge out there on the field. He's a big guy who's hopefully going to be a, a run stopper for you. So I think that's a nice pair to have in the defensive tackle positions. You know, those guys can work off of one each, you know, one another in terms of their strengths. So I do think Malik Jackson can provide a lot for the Browns. The only concern as you said, is he's getting up there in age and mm -hmm. there is not a lot behind him. Now, Sheldon Richardson probably wouldn't want to, you know, and that's the other piece of this. Richardson probably wouldn't want to accept a role behind those guys, which could be part of the reason he also took less money in Minnesota. But if Jackson does go down, all of a sudden you're, you're counting on the rookies immediately. Exactly. But I think that at the same time, I think that the, you know, the amount of rookies, the amount of bodies that they've brought into this defensive tackle room, I think that Andrew Barry recognizes that himself, right? Like if, if one of these guys has to miss time, there's going to be a circumstance where we have to rely on one of these young players. And I think, I think we're prepared for that. And I think that's why we went out. And I think that's why we drafted the Tommy Togiai, why they gave um, Marvin Wilson out of Florida State that historic contract for an undrafted player, because they saw the writing on the wall, like, hey, you know, Billings opted out last year. We'll see, you know, how that a year off would, would do for his body. You know, maybe it, maybe it does wonders for his body. Maybe it does the opposite. So we'll see how that plays out as well. And then, of course, you talked about we talked about Malik Jackson being up there in age. So they're definitely going to have to rely on one of these young guys at a certain point in time, Henry. And we also have to remember, too, it's 17 game season. 
So there's an extra game this year where these guys are going to have extra toll and wear and tear on their bodies. There might be a situation where you're arresting a guy when, you know, maybe the Browns have a, a spot locked up or they, you know, not necessarily in the division battle that they thought they were going to be at the later of the season where it's like, Hey, let's sit some down, some of these veteran guys, get some of the young guys in here. I definitely think that's going to happen at some point. The question is, can you rely on a, on a, on a Togi, on a Marvin Wilson, on a McDowell to produce Obviously, that's yet to be seen, Henry, but just being an Ohio State guy and being close with the team and covering them for a couple of years now, I definitely think Tommy Togiai can be that guy. We talk about, you know, I mean, he's one of the strongest, just pure strength guys that I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm not even talking about just like football strength. It's overall like bodybuilder type strength. He's that guy. So I think he can translate. And I, I got high hopes for Togiai too. I, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. I, I, I think he can, if need be fill in and maybe not necessarily give the same production that a Billings or a Jackson would, but at least make it so there's not that big of a drop off. Well, and, and Chris Trapasso, the CBS sports draft analyst was on our podcast saying that he loves the Togi I pick because of that floor. Like you're talking about he, Yeah. He's just got yeah. enough strength. He's got a, a signature bull rush move that Trapasso was saying, Hey, it's tough. Really. If you go look at the history, getting a, a starter, in the third, fourth round, even it is really uh, hard. And that Togiai has enough strengths to lean on that he thinks, you know, he's going to be able to you know, carve out a role for himself in the NFL for a long time. So he was really high on that pick as well. And then going back to Jackson, I, I was remembering this as you were talking about him, that Jared Mueller wrote a really interesting uh, article uh, about Jackson actually embracing his leadership role and what's going to be needed for him on the Browns. And the quote, you know, the big quote from, from Jackson in this article uh, on his leadership role was the biggest thing is humility. Jackson said, I understand who I am and I understand what I bring. I want the best out of everybody. And if I'm talking to you, it's because I want you to get better. And so that was yeah, the, the reason the question was asked was exactly what you were talking about earlier. Hey, there's a void left here by Sheldon Richardson, yeah. Malik Jackson's tied with Malcolm Smith for the most experience on this Browns team. What are, you know, can he bring things in addition to his play to the locker room? And, and he certainly seemed to embrace that. Real quick. I was just going to say on Malik Jackson too, like other than Malcolm Smith and everyone that was on the Browns team last year, I mean, he's played in big game after big game after big game making plays in the Super Bowl. And if that's your aspiration at the end of the year, to have a guy that understands what it takes to get there and what's needed from you physically and mentally, I think that plays into it as well, Henry. 100%. Yeah, the Browns are hoping to be in big games this year. And like I was saying with Richardson, I thought he stepped up in the big games. They're going to need Jackson to step up as well. Jordan, I want to transition to talk about Odell Beckham Jr. Because on the yeah. podcast that you were not on, that I did solo, I, I talked about Julio Jones, but then I also talked about something that a, a guest on the show, Nick Dayus, brought up, which is that he liked Odell Beckham as uh, a potential sneaky comeback player of the year candidate. And so I went through the potential case for that with Odell Beckham in terms of what that would take, how there's a precedent with the wide receiver position, on and on. How that relates to this, though, is that that Odell Beckham was back on the field in a Browns uniform for the first time since tearing that ACL against the Bengals. He went through some warm ups, it looks like some some light workouts and those type of things. 
Kevin Stefanski saying he didn't know for sure if Odell Beckham Jr. was going to be back for training camp, but all indications are eight months after ACL surgery, he looks pretty much a hundred percent from, from everything we've seen. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it's hard to read look too much into these things, Henry, but I remember, you know, we talked to Jeremy Fowler um, of ESPN a couple of weeks ago and he was on the show and he had to say like, Hey, I'm just like letting you guys know Odell, everything that I've heard is he's like weeks ahead of his rehab schedule. And it looks like he's going to be ready for mini camp. It looks like he's going to be ready for the start of training camp. It looks like he's going to be back to the same explosive Odell that we know. And so far that's all we've seen. Right. I mean, we saw it, uh, last week it was Camp Baker down in Texas when he uh, you know linked up with you know Jarvis and and Hollywood and Njoku and all those guys that joined Baker down in Austin and we saw a couple of videos I I know you're not video guy Henry <laughs> I'm not video guy I'm not, you're not video, guy. video guy in particular <laughs> right? but at the same time I saw a video of him where he made this uh, a, a cut in particular on a on an out route where I was like okay. Now that looks like oh the Odell that we're you know we've come to what we've come to expect from him, and so to see that and then you see today, you talked about he was out there for warmups, um, he was running a handful of routes, catching passes from Baker. Obviously, there was no defense going up against him, but everything we saw, um, you know, from the takeaways from minicamp was that he looked really sharp, and especially for someone coming off that ACL injury. So I mean, again. Kevin Stefanski didn't say that he would be ready for training camp, Henry, but I think all indications are that he will be. And I think that it's going to be full throttle heading into the season for Odell. And I mean, what, what a piece to get back when you're, when you talk about like, that's almost, you know, we talk about like all key additions for the Browns in the off season. And there were a lot of them, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. But then you talk about the guys coming back from an injury, like a Grant Delpit, like a greedy Williams, like an Odell Beckham Jr. Like those are additions in themselves, just getting the guys that you didn't have back and the chance to open up a, a um, you know, another dimension of the playbook that we didn't have. And the other part about it, Henry, is, I mean, think about last year, Kevin Stefanski takes over as the Browns head coach, the whole entire offseason program, like minicamp, what they're doing right now, they were doing on Zoom calls last year, working on footwork, working on plays, working on like, hey, we want you to cut this way. All that shit was done over Zoom calls. Now Kevin Stefanski's there, has his hands on the guys. It's hands-on training right now, particularly for someone like Odell, who we know, I mean, let's just come out and say it. I don't think he was totally comfortable in this offense before he went down with that injury. And that's what plays into the whole Baker being allegedly better, which I'm so goddamn sick of that take, but that's, I mean, I'm not even going to get into that. Baker is not better without Odell. It comes down to he wasn't comfortable in the offense. And this is a chance for him looking like he's healthy to get adept to the offense before we even hit training camp, Henry. So we're really getting a head start on this whole, whole Odell thing. Thanks to how hard he was rehabbing to get back to where he is and knowing that he's ahead of schedule. And it's why I thought the Browns, everybody was talking about, they need a vertical threat. They need a vertical threat. They need to go get that in the off season. They have one. It's Odell Beckham yeah. Jr. And, and that that's what I kept saying and why I didn't think it was as big of a need as people were making it out to be. I understand what happened in the Chiefs game last year. That's what happens when your most dynamic offensive player. And yes, I still think Odell Beckham is the Browns most dynamic offensive player above any of the receivers and running backs. He wasn't there. And, and so that's obviously a, a key loss when you're going up against the very best of the best. Now, 
do I think Odell is ever going to be maximized in this offense the way he was with the Giants? No, I don't, because I think Baker likes to use tight ends. I think Baker and Stefanski both, uh, you know, love to work the middle of the field in, in um, you know, to the slot receiver as well, which is why Landry, I think, it has such comfortability with, with Baker. But at the same time, I also think what you said is true, that the idea that Odell Beckham is making Baker worse somehow, it's just hard for me to get to that place. Like having yeah. a good player on the field is not worse for your offense. And there's plenty of people in the fantasy and gambling space saying to bet on Odell Beckham to come back this year uh, in a big way. Because if you, in hindsight, if you go look at the teams, the Browns played early on in the year last year, they were all great pass defenses. We didn't know that at the time, but Odell Beckham only faced like top 12 pass defenses last year. And as the Browns, you know, schedule got softer, the numbers for Baker went better. And that's how you get that narrative that, oh, the Browns are looking so much better without Odell Beckham Jr. on the field. It's like, well, there are some other factors at play as well. Yeah. And so you, you, you mentioned the whole, like, I don't know if Odell will ever be maximized like he was for the New York Giants in this offense. And, and here's the thing, Henry, he doesn't need to be, right? Like, he doesn't need to be. I, I don't think people understand that. I think, I think they see the numbers he put up in New York. I think they see the spectacular plays that he made in New York. And anytime he doesn't do that in a Browns uniform, we become disappointed because we've become – custom to expect one thing from him when in, in all reality is like you don't need what we need from him is to make the big play to make the the 15 yard catch on a third and 11 in the late in the third quarter when you're trying to win a ball game that's what we need from him I don't care about the 10 catches for 165 yards and three touchdowns that would be great and it certainly would you know contribute to winning but what I want to see is the impact plays making plays when it matters making plays that contribute to winning. And if that's three catches for 38 yards, but all three of those catches came on a game-winning drive, I'm fine with that. Because odds are, if that's the case, Chubb has 100 yards rushing. Kareem Hunt has 45 yards rushing. Jarvis Landry has six catches for 65 yards, right? Like, that's going to be the case. And then you get back to the whole narrative of like, well, is he going to be okay with that? That shit is so played out at the same time as well, Henry. Like he is a guy that's about winning and he's in the perfect situation with his buddy and Jarvis Landry where he can be like, yeah, I mean, I might've only had four catches for 42 yards, but I made the big catch. Jarvis had seven for 70 and the touchdown. I'm fine. We got the win at the end of the day. Like for me, it comes down to making the impact plays rather than putting up the huge numbers. And I think he's going to get the opportunity. And I think that's what we saw to a degree at the beginning of last season, right? Is that some games, it's going to be a little bit more reserved for him. And then other games like the Cowboys game, for example, he's going to get his opportunity. And that's where this offense is going to be at its best. It's going to be some games at Odell because there's, you know, some games it's going to be Chubb because defensive coordinators can't account for everyone. And when they can't account for everyone, Stefanski is going to call the game based on that and pick up their weaknesses. And that's what you want out of your offense and your play caller. You want them to say, hey, we've got all of these different weapons. And based on where the defense is weak, we're going to attack here or we're going to attack here or we're going to attack here. And Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be part of that formula for the Browns, even if it's not a 1,400-yard season. Absolutely. See, I always go back to the – Colts game 
when I talk about what I want to see from Odell. And yeah, you can talk about the Cowboys game and that's like a vintage Odell performance, right? Like that's a like, hey, this is still a guy that can get you the win by himself. But I go back to the Colts game for this reason. Only had five catches for 58 yards in that game. But every single catch he made, I think it was four or five of those catches, Henry, were made on third down. And I go back to the one in the third quarter where Baker throws in a, a ball that he throws over his head. Odell goes up to get it. Guy that's defending him gets called for a pass interference. He still makes the catch against his helmet. And then the, it ultimately sets up the Browns to win that game. I think they got a pick six on the next drive that kind of sealed it. Like those are the plays that I want to see from him. It doesn't have to be the, you know, three touchdown game against the Colts or against the Cowboys. I go back to that Colts game and say like, hey, if you're doing that, I'm totally fine with it. Me too. And, then, and that's why I think Odell is going, again, might not have the flashiest statistical season, but is going to have a bounce back year. It, too much has been, you know, made about the adding those five games, whatever it was, adding that on top of the Freddie Kitchens you know, year where I think we would have seen Ooh. a different Odell <laughs> Beckham Jr. had he played all 16. Yeah, and I, th I think it's uh, I think we have to say too. Um, obviously, today being the first mini camp practice, um, Odell was on a knee. Uh, he wasn't really competing in the heavy dose of the seven on seven, and I think that's just more of an ease him back in. And I mean, let's be real, Henry. I mean, there's not a lot to take away from these mini camp practices as it is. I think you give him a lighter workload, just kind of get him back feel for football, running, stretching, doing all of those things coming off the ACL. I think that's better than seeing him. I saw a lot of people like, well, he's healthy, but why is he not playing in seven on seven? Like, come on, are we doing that? Like, are we, are we really going to start this conversation now? Like he's fine. Ease him back into things. Let's have him ready for training camp. Yeah, it's it's freaking minicamp. Like no, it's exactly. Odell Beckham's eight months <laughs> off of ACL surgery. No, no matter how ahead he is of schedule, it's minicamp. Jordan, the last piece of news uh, that came out of minicamp, uh, you know, first day was extension talk. And the two obvious candidates, in addition to Baker Mayfield, are Nick Chubb and Denzel Ward, both of which spoke briefly on their extensions today. Nick Chubb essentially saying that he's letting his agent handle it, and, but, you know, he wants to be in Cleveland long term and is hoping that they can reach an extension and then Basically, Denzel Ward echoed the exact same thing. He said, in a perfect world, I'd want to be a Brown for my entire career. I didn't take a lot away from this necessarily. Did you? No, it's player talk. Like we talk about, like when you hear these press conferences, like Kevin Stefanski is a wizard when it comes to press conferences. I mean, I don't think I've ever been a part of a press conference where a guy can talk for 20 minutes and literally not say anything. <laughs> but like he's somehow mastered the art of being able to just talk without actually giving anything away to the media and that's kind of how i look at this right like it would have been an issue if do you remember isaiah crowell a couple oh, years I, ago i remember he, isaiah crowell yes i do unfortunately i remember him too but I, I i go back to the press conference when he was asked about his contract and he had something along the lines to say of like oh i'm thinking about it before i go to bed i'm thinking about it when i wake up i'm thinking about it before my next carry i'm thinking about it before my previous carry like it's like all right man we get it you you might think that <laughs> you don't need to come out in the media and say that like it, it just sends the wrong message. So for uh, a Nick Chubb, a Denzel Ward to come out and say like, Hey, I'm not focused on that thing. Um, I, I'm just going to leave that up to my agent and, and kind of let things play out from there. It's exactly what I wanted to hear. It doesn't, I don't really have like a take on it 
just because it's like I, I'm glad they came out and didn't make their contract a huge thing when they could have. But at the same time, what what more would you expect from you know the soft spoken guy like Nick Chubb, a soft spoken guy like Denzel Ward? It's right in line with their character. It was nice right. to hear both of them talk about, hey, you know, we both were part of the the culture rebuild here, and we take you know some pride in, in, in all of that, which is nice to hear as a fan, no doubt. But also, it it just like Stefanski, you can kind of see this whole team just kind of take on that mentality. Even Baker mm-hmm. Mayfield got himself in. in I, we can all be honest. He, he, you know, when he stepped up to the podium, it was a little bit of a roller coaster his first two years, and then yeah. after, yeah, he, you know, he got under Kevin Stefanski, that pretty much stopped for the, you know, for the most part. So, I'm super curious to see what the extension numbers come in at. I think they're both in really tricky situations. Nick Chubb, you know, as a, a you know, a, a running back in the market that we've seen, Aaron Jones said he took a discount to stay in Green Bay, but the ultimate number there wasn't really high. Denzel Ward with his injury issues, I'm really interested to see if an extension gets done. If, uh, yeah, and what the number comes in at for both of those. And, and we can certainly talk about those later on in this podcast, but uh, I, I don't, I didn't take anything out of this. And I, I saw some people saying, Oh, it's, you know, the, these guys want to be in Cleveland long-term. This means we should commit to them. And I just don't see how this is going to play into their, you know, the decision-making from the front office really. Yeah, and, and I think, too, Henry, I mean, the most important piece when it comes to an extension, without question, is number six, Baker Mayfield. And so the question would be, does a Baker extension come first, and then you figure out the numbers after that? I think that's probably the path we're headed on, just because we're probably going to be looking at a contract for Baker north of $200 million. And if that's the case, you got to figure out the money on the back end for everyone else. So I think it makes sense from a front office, from a financial standpoint, to knock out the quarterback first and then let the pieces fall after that. I think so too. And uh, I, I do think there's a, a, a podcast topic in talking about that Baker Mayfield extension. I'll, I'll just <laughs> tease for the listeners that I was doing some research about when these quarterback extensions get done, like Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. Uh, and long story short, uh, it's, it's usually uh, the window begins right about now and lasts yeah. for about three months. So there, there's plenty to discuss there. Oh, one thing I did want to touch on real quick, just briefly before we signed off, um, Jadavion Clowney. And, oh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of course, we, you know, there was the question of how healthy is he coming into, you know, mini camp, you know, that kind of thing. Is he going to be as devoted as we want him to be? All that kind of thing. Well, from everything that I saw, all reports have it, he was indeed a full participant today in every single drill in the seven on sevens, all of that. So there's your answer. I mean, it's, it appears that Jadavion Clowney is healthy and everything I saw too. I saw a lot of people like talking about, he was like kind of just being in the presence of him. Like he's just a physical presence and kind of just stood out immediately athletically. I think he was killing it in sprints from what I saw (laughs) again. I don't know how much you can read into stuff like that, but just from the standpoint of like having the question of his health, is he healthy? Is he not healthy? Did him not being healthy play into how long it took him to sign a contract? So to see him be a full participant today in everything from his athletic and physical prowess was good to see. It was good to see. Season-ending knee surgery in December is what Clowney was was dealing with. And as Jordan said, potentially a reason why he wasn't signed earlier. So there are Plenty of videos and all of that of him running around today with everybody else out there. I, 
you would expect, uh, you know, by, by the seasons, you know, the beginning of the season that, that everything will be fine there. It'll just be a question of, can he last throughout the 17 games, uh, one game longer and he's had durability issues the last couple of years, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, I think on that front, Jordan. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm obviously I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that he can, but, uh, Again, Henry, the overlying theme of all of this and everything that we've talked about today is just just get through mini camp with everyone being healthy, right? Like that's that's the main thing here. We can talk about, hey, we want to see this from Odell. Hey, we want to see this from Clowney. Hey, we want to see this from the nine new starters on defense. Hey, we want to see this from the rookies. I look at it as like, I just want everyone to get through this healthy. It's the most important part of the offseason, for sure. Mm-hmm. You just don't want any disasters, uh, both with mini camp and with training camp. And at this point at the preseason as well, you're seeing the guys like Sean McVay just not even play people. So it'll be interesting to see how Kevin Stefanski handles all of that in his first real uh, preseason uh, to deal with the, uh, that, that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, and apparently uh, they had, I guess Kevin Stefanski said the other day that it sounds like the Browns plan to treat that. Again, No, there's not four preseason games this year, just three it does sound like Stefanski plans to treat that third game as the dress rehearsal. So that'd be interesting as well. Got to stay healthy. Yes, indeed. All right, Jordan, that will do it for this episode of the rebuild. As I said, a few minutes ago, we are going to continue bringing content to you guys on this feed, obviously with Jordan's move, some of the issues that he was having, then also just with it being a little bit of a dead time, we took a slight break from your usual twice a week podcast content, but that will be picking back up next week with a bunch of different topics. So plenty more to come until then just two words for you. Go Browns.